Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, there, there are Bibles that are sitting in front of you, nice black brand new Bibles, if you want to grab that. Uh, the Bible is divided into two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with uh, Matthew. It was Matthew, Mark, then Luke. So Matthew, Mark, then Luke. And we are starting in chapter number one. The Bible is divided into chapters and verses. We are starting in chapter one, verse one. I really appreciate uh, Brooke and Cambria and Mark and Adam and Josiah for leading us today. I'm, guys, thank you. Adam, Adam Barker, which, who's uh, better known as Larry's little brother, um, he, is, he is a student at Moody who took a year out to study in England. Study, he's working as a, as a missions coordinator for an organization that is trying to get Bibles, I believe, into every child's hand in Europe. And so it's a huge, overwhelming task, but they go into different churches and different um, countries and resource the churches for what they need. So they go into some place in, in Germany and they find out this church in this, in this little town needs resources on parenting or marriage or anything like that. They'll come back then and provide them with the resources they need. And Adam is a, is a part of that team that goes in and helps provide the resources they need. And so he showed up today to come to church and said, we need a guitar player. Okay, get me a guitar. So he jumps right in and and, and, and plays guitar for us. So Adam, thank you for doing that. We appreciate your willingness to serve. All right, Luke chapter 1, starting verse 1. We're just going to pray. Lord, we just thank you this morning. Thank you for the, just the gift of your word to us, that you are continuing to speak to us. God, we, ad, we admit that we need your Holy Spirit to understand your word. And so God, we ask that your spirit would come and bring understanding we ask that your spirit would come and, and create within us hearts that are open and, and eager to receive, and God, that our hearts would be the good soil, God, that would produce a, a harvest of righteousness, and we pray all these things in your name, amen, amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, we're starting in verse 1, read to verse 7. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abiha, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in, in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And so we're going to look at this first part of Luke, and then we're going to jump over, and we're going to jump over to verse uh, 57, but I want to give us the context of verse 57 through 80. And so here we have Zechariah, a godly man, 
following after the Lord and his wife, Elizabeth. At that time in, in Israel, there were, there were roughly 18,000 priests in only one temple. They didn't have just little churches everywhere. They had the temple. And the temple was a place where people would go to offer sacrifices and worship the Lord. Because of the vast amounts of, of priests, the priests were divided into different divisions. So there are 24 different divisions of priests who would go on a one-week tour twice a year. So your division would be called, you'd go in to serve for a week at the temple, and you'd be given assignment. And we also learned that Zechariah was righteous, him and his wife were righteous and walked blameless. It didn't mean they were perfect, but it did mean that they served the Lord faithfully. We also learned this about Elizabeth, that she had no children and that they were both old. And I think what Luke is doing in this is he's showing us their prospect of having children isn't getting any better. The situation is, is, is not very good for them right now, and it's not getting any better anytime soon. And so he says they're both old, advanced in years. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so here we have Zechariah the priest serving, serving at the temple on his tour of duty twice a year for a one-week stint. And there was, there was many, many priests. And because of this, you weren't, able to, you weren't able just to go in and enter and to offer incense anytime you wanted. It wasn't like a McDonald's. You kind of show up and I'm going to burn some incense. I'm going to go offer some sacrifice. I'm going to kind of do my own thing over here. There was a prescribed way. And so they would offer incense twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. And you'd go into the holy place to burn the incense. And because of the large number of priests, because of the, the limited availability of being able to do this, you were chosen by lot or kind of um, casting lots or it's almost like a lottery system, if you will, to do this thing. And because of the sacred task, because of the great responsibility and because of the number of priests, you could only do this once in your lifetime. This is once in a lifetime opportunity. This is your, this is your moment this is one of the greatest moments of your life as a priest was the, the opportunity to do this. And some priests, because of the number, never, never were able to do this. So this is something that only you, you're only able to do once in your lifetime, if that. And here he had, the, he had the opportunity to burn the incense. And as he would offer the incense, people would be outside of, of, the, of the gates praying, waiting on God, and the priest would then come out of the, of the area and he would give a blessing and dismiss the people. So everyone is waiting outside for Zechariah. Now let's look what happens in verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. 
And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So here we have Zechariah and this great moment of his life this high, this high point of his life, going into the temple to offer the, the incense, and an angel appears. And the angel says, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. And your aged wife will give birth to a son. And you're to name him John. It's a good name. But it means God is gracious. And it's not just your wife is going to have a son, but there's a couple other things about this boy that's unique from every other boy. He's going to be great before the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. He's going to turn people towards the Lord. And he's going to go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. I think up until that point, up until the point the angel said that, I think Zechariah might have been like, okay, great, yes, amen, I like that. Whoa, whoa, what did you just say? But the whole spirit and power of a lot. What's that all about? See, he's re- the angel's referencing back to the book of Malachi. In chapter 3 and in chapter 4, it talks about the Messiah coming and the forerunner of the Messiah coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so what he's saying here is it's more than just your wife's going to have a son. It's that the Lord is going to bring the Messiah. He is going to show up. And guess what? Your son is going to be the one who's going to go before him. Your son. The one that you didn't think what you were ever going to see. The one that you had basically given up all hope for. That son is going to go before the Messiah. You can just imagine what, what's going on in his heart right now. Here's an old man serving at the temple. He's offering He's offering sacrifices to the Lord. He he has an opportunity to pray. He's probably been praying 20, 30, 40, who knows, 50 years for a son. Here we have the angel saying, your prayer has been heard. He's also at this time ministering on behalf of the nation to the Lord. So he's praying for the nation. He said, it's a a double answer. You're not only going to get a son, but you're praying for the nation. And guess what? God's going to bring a Messiah. Now, how does Zechariah respond? You've just heard an angel of the Lord tell you that your prayer has been heard. Verse 18. This is Zechariah's response. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. In the original language, this I is an emphatic I. He's saying, I'm an old man. I am an old man. How is this going to be? How is this going to work out? And you can just imagine the angel think, probably sitting there thinking, Gabriel, man, this is, your, this is your moment to shine, Zechariah, man. How about a high five? How about we just, you know, let's, this is awesome. Your prayer has been heard. 
The very thing you've been asking God for, for maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years you've been praying, your prayer's been heard and you're going to have an answer. And Zechariah sits back and says, prove it. Prove it, right? Show me a sign. How do I know what you're telling me is true? I don't believe you right now. And so Gabriel responds, verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So this I is also emphatic. He says, I'm Gabriel, okay? I stand in the presence of God. I am giving you a message from God to you by an angel of the Lord, and you're asking for a sign, all right? Think about this. What more do you want? I mean, what more? Do you want two angels to show up or three? I mean, I stand in the presence of God, and I'm bringing you a message from Almighty God, and you want a sign. Zechariah right now is, he's standing in in unbelief. Here, the promise of the Lord has come to him. There's been an answer from heaven for the very thing he's been praying for. He says, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. This can't be true. I don't believe what you're saying. I don't know how the Lord can do this. I think this is too grave a situation for God to tackle. Is God really going to bring his Messiah now? We've been waiting. It's been, we've had 400 years of, of prophetic silence in the, in the nation. And now you're going to show up and just say, okay, by the way, the Messiah is going to come real soon in your son's lifetime? It's too hard to believe. So Gabriel goes on. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak till the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. He's saying, look, guess what? This is going to happen. This will be fulfilled. You are going to see the evidence of this being fulfilled and because of your unbelief, you're going to be silent. It's lack of faith. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What I love about this little section here is uh, there's no workers' comp for Zechariah. There's no time off. He suffered a serious injury at work, and he's like still has to finish out his duty in the temple. And I think about this, and I look at my own life, things that God has spoken in His Word, and I think this isn't a message from an angel, but God has spoken to us through His Word by His Son through his Holy Spirit. And so often I find it so hard to believe. It's almost as if I'm sitting there as Zechariah, God giving us his word, talking to us, revealing Jesus to us, revealing to us the way to live, the way to honor the Lord, the way we can trust in God, we can know God, we can relate to God. And I sit back and say, prove it. I don't believe this. How can this be true? About three weeks ago, 
my wife and I and another couple were, were downtown Chicago, and we had just eaten a, just a great dinner, my favorite place to eat in the city. And a homeless man approaches us, the four of us, and says, give me some money so I can buy some food. It's kind of in your face, a little bit disheveled, kind of like, okay, what's going to happen here? And we had just left the restaurant, and so we've got this, we got food with us. It's like, hey, you can have the food, right? We'll cut out the middleman. You just have the food. You don't have to go buy food. You can have food right now. Well, problem solved, right? He says, I don't want your food. I want your money. And I'm like, man, we're saving you a trip to White Hen right now, and this food is way better than anything you're getting at, you know, White Hen Pantry. But in my heart, I'm like, man, who do you think you are? I mean, you're, you're demanding money from me so you can go buy food. I go to offer you food. You say you don't want the food, you want the money, and then you demand more money from me. And I was a little bit upset, like, like no, if you don't want the food, that's, that's your problem, right? Well, after he had walked away, and I'm sitting there kind of like, I can't believe this guy would ever do this, Michelle reminded me kindly of a message I preached a couple of months ago. And Luke 6, verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And at that moment, I was, I did not believe the Lord. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to give to those who beg for me. I'll give you what I want to give you. Not what you're asking for. I'm going to give you what I want to give to you. I'm not going to give you my money. If you don't want my sandwich, you can get lost. I don't like the way you're being rude to me. You're obviously ungrateful. You're probably going to do something evil with my money. But yet the word of God says, God is kind to the ungrateful. God is kind to the evil. God has been kind to me. And although I'm not a homeless person demanding things from other people, money, and to go buy food, yet how often has God come to me in these verses, kindly reminded me of his word, I've said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't, want to get, I, don't, I don't want to get rid of my money. I don't want to do it. I'll give you my food, but I'm not going to give you my money. At that moment, I am living out of disbelief. And so it, it's a reminder for us, the opportunity for us. When you read things like this, not to say, oh, man, if that was me, I would... If that was me with that angel, I'd be dancing around, giving high fives. It'd be, it'd be a party time. We very well man, have experienced this kind of experience maybe on a daily basis. It's hard for us. Now, we're going to move on from here. But I want us to give us the context of Zechariah because God loosens his tongue. Zechariah has a change of heart, change of understanding. We're going to turn over to verse 57 now. I don't want us, but there's hope for us. There's hope for us. The good thing about this story is that God was not, God was not 
confined to, to, to Zechariah's unbelief. He wasn't, he wasn't confined by him. He wasn't put off by him. He wasn't shut down by him. It wasn't like the plan of God's redemptive purpose in history was not shut down by someone's disbelief. Same thing with our own lives. God's plan isn't contingent on my disbelief. God can move full force ahead with everything he wants to do, even if I sit in disbelief. God is greater than my disbelief. God is more powerful than my disbelief. God is able to work and do his miraculous almighty power in our midst, even with an unbelieving person like me. That's how great God is. He's not bound by our belief or disbelief. God is more powerful than those things. Now, let's look at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by his name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And we're going to read what he said in a second. And fear came upon all their, all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now we're going to get to the part of what Zechariah said at this, at this time. And you can almost imagine Zechariah and he was asking for a writing tablet, so he might have not only been, been mute, but um, he might have been uh, deaf as well because he couldn't hear what was, was happening. And so here he is. He's about ready to, to fill with the Holy Spirit to say something important. You think about all the time he thought about his, his, his unbelief of that. He had nine months to consider his unbelief. Man, what, what am I going to learn during this time? And he opens his mouth and he says this. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So he begins to offer thanksgiving to God because of redemption. And this passage of Scripture is called the Benedictus, which is Latin for blessing. But he says this, that God has visited and redeemed his people. What good news for Zechariah? Redemption. Redemption for Zechariah. Even though he had unbelief, God is still redeeming a people for himself. And this word redeem is saving at a cost or rescuing at a high price. The cost of redemption was the very life of Jesus. That's the cost of redemption. It didn't come by any other way. The cost of redemption was the very life of Jesus Christ, giving himself in our place on the cross for our sins. 
That was the cost of redemption. That was the cost of our rescue. It came at a very high price, one that we could never have paid in ourselves. Not only that, but he talks about this horn of salvation. What what does a horn of salvation mean? Psalm 148, verse 14, it talks about the horn of salvation. It was a symbol of strength and power like the horn of a bull. This is a mighty salvation he's talking about. This isn't just a weak, tepid, tranquil salvation. He said, this salvation, there is power in this salvation. There is might in this salvation. God is doing something in this that is powerful. He goes on to say, this was spoken of by the prophets. This is from the Lord. This has been God's plan of salvation, God's means, God's way of salvation since before the beginning of time. This wasn't God's plan of salvation. Just, re- just recently, a couple years ago, God thought, you know what, now it's time. I should really do something about this whole sin thing. This has been God's plan from of old. This has been God's plan of salvation. And so it's, this says to us three things about redemption. Number one, we have been redeemed at a price. Luke 23 gives us what that price looked like. We had no idea at this point. Zechariah had no idea at this point what that salvation would have cost. Speaking from the Holy Spirit within him. Number two, this is a powerful and mighty salvation. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You don't have to turn there, but talks about the canceled debt of sin that stood against us. How Jesus on the cross has disarmed the powers of hell that stood against us again. Jesus disarming the powers of hell. Jesus forgiving us and canceling the debt that stood against us. That is what Christ has done. Not only that, but our redemption is a divine initiative. This is God reaching out to people. This is God reaching out to humanity. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. This is what God is doing. He's rescuing people from sin and from Satan. All right, let's look at verses 71 through 75. This is talking about the nature of this deliverance. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. This is the nature of this deliverance. This is what this deliverance looks like. It's much more than just a ticket to heaven. It's much more than just a trophy on God's mantle. This is so much more. This deliverance that God is talking about God has got a purpose for his people. God has got a purpose for his church. It's to honor and glorify him all of our days. This is our purpose. This is what God has delivered us for. He says that we would serve him and glorify him all of our days without fear, in holiness, belonging to God, in righteousness, living for him. It's a quote by a gentleman by the name of Norval Glendenhaus. He writes this, Although there may be a reference here to political liberation as well, 
something far more glorious is meant. The wholehearted service of the Lord is complete in complete freedom from all bonds of sin, guilt, punishment, curse, Satan, and destruction. That's the nature of this deliverance. It's being set free from the bondage of sin. It's being set free from the control of Satan. It's being set free to serve him, to live for him, to honor him with our lives, to have meaning and purpose in our lives. This is the nature of deliverance. Our redemption is the beginning of service, not to somehow earn our way to God, but in a way that we glorify and honor him with all of our lives. It's freedom to serve God to the fullest. We have been set free to serve God to the fullest, to live the way God has created us to live. Now let's look at verses 76 to 79. And you, child, he's talking to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. He was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. So he begins to talk about his son, John the Baptist. So we've learned about the nature of deliverance. Now we're going to look at what the work of the Messiah is. He says, son, you're going to be a prophet of the Most High. You're going to go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Give people understanding of salvation. Not just any kind of salvation, but the forgiveness of sins. He says, although it's not just primarily political or economic salvation, Zechariah might have been thinking about political salvation from the, the clutches and hand of, heavy hand of Rome, which is what the disciples even believed up until Jesus' ascension. He's talking about spiritual salvation, the forgiveness of sins. Why is God preparing a people for salvation? Why is God doing this? Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of God. This is God's mercy. This is God's mercy to his people. The saving and redeeming. And not just saving and putting on a mantle somewhere, but saving for purpose. This is what God is doing. His tender mercy is saving people. It's what his mercy is doing. Then he goes on to talk about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the light of the world. He says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Give light to those who sit in darkness, the shadow of death, to guide in the way of peace. Now, Zechariah, what hope? What hope to know? What hope do we have? That even in our unbelief, God is still reaching out with redemption to his people. God is still reaching out with redemption to you. Even in our unbelief, even after reading the promises of God, even after looking through week after week in the promises of God, even in my own heart, disbelieving what God has said, there's hope for me. 
There's hope for me. That even in my disbelief, God is still at work. God is still redeeming a people. God is still offering salvation and redemption to his people, to me. Even after my disbelief, God is still reaching out with salvation to people. It's good news for us. And although Zechariah's prophecy is, can be looked at through the lens of what does this mean for Israel? What does it mean for, for, for Rome? What does it mean for the enemies? What is this saying about Jesus? What does this prophetic word say about Jesus? That Jesus has redeemed his people by giving his life as a ransom for sin. That Jesus is the mighty horn of salvation. When God talks about the horn of salvation, that's Jesus. He's the horn of salvation. He's the mighty deliverer. He's the one who's come for people to, for salvation. Jesus is the divine plan of salvation. It is Jesus. He is the divine plan. Not only that, but Jesus has set us free to serve God with all of our lives. He has redeemed every part of us that we can serve God fully in righteousness. John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus, but Jesus is called the Most High. Jesus is the one who brings salvation. Jesus is the one who brings forgiveness of sins. Jesus gives light to those who sit in darkness. Jesus is the one who gives light for the pathway of peace. This is all about Jesus. These verses are all about Jesus. And although they talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth and an angel and John the Baptist, these verses are about Jesus Christ. These verses scream about the greatness of God, the glory of God. These verses scream to us and shout out to us, out to a dying world, that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way of redemption. Jesus is the mighty horn of salvation. Jesus has come to bring hope and life to people who sit in darkness, all of which we all once did. We were those people sitting in darkness. His light has shone upon us. And I think this time of year especially, there's this, it's, it's Christmas, and this coming week, no doubt, you're going to have family get-togethers and parties and seeing friends and, and all this warm feelings on the inside about Christmas. But yet, for often for some of us, our times with our family or with our friends could be broken. There's relationships that need repair. There's relationships that, are, that are, aren't working well. That have, there have been tension. What's the hope for our relationships? What's the hope for our family? What's the hope for our coworkers? What's the hope for our friends? It's Jesus. He is the hope that he would come and redeem even in our unbelief that he would come and bring salvation even when we don't believe it. That Jesus would still come, his plan of salvation would still work to save a people who have turned away from him. And so I want to encourage us this next week as we go out from here, as no doubt, like I said, we go to the parties and spend time with family and friends. We have a message of hope to people and it's in Jesus Christ. 
It's not in the good, warm feelings of Christmas. It's not in the, the nice parties that we have. It's not in the, the Christmas trees and the presents. It is in Jesus Christ alone. I spent this past week a couple of days at Disney World with our family. And the whole thing is about believe your dreams. There's magic deep down within every person. I mean, all this stuff about believe your dreams, your dreams will all come true and all this stuff. But it wasn't rooted in anything. Like, why would my dreams come true? Why? There's no hope. It's just, just believe in your dreams. Somehow your dreams have power to make themselves happen. I thought, our hope is rooted not in some kind of dream, but in a person. It's the person of Jesus. And so I, I want to call us this today, this morning, to put our hope and trust in Jesus. To put our hope in Jesus. He is the hope. He is the hope for our families. He is the hope for our friends. He is the hope for our relationships. He is the hope for our lives. That me, after, after walking away from that, that guy on the street who is demanding my money, I can walk away and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. And his redemption would come to me and bring forgiveness and hope. The next time that happens, Lord Jesus, I want to be the first one to open my wallet up and say, how much you need? I've got two bucks on me. That's all I got. But I'll give it to you. I'll give you what I got. I'd be the one who would be quick to respond because God's word is true and he can be trusted. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we want to express our love for you. Thank you. Thank you for redeeming a people who are sitting in darkness. Thank you that you are the hope of the world. Thank you that you are the light of the world. Thank you that even in this Christmas season as we talk about all the busyness and the, the parties and the food and and everything that goes along with that, God, we, we know that our hope is not rooted in a season, but in a person. So this morning, Jesus, we put our hope and our faith and our trust in you. God, I pray this week that you would give us opportunity, God, to share this hope with other people. Lord, this good news, Jesus, that you are the horn of salvation, that you bring a mighty deliverance, no matter where we are, God, you come and bring hope and light and truth. God, let us this week, let us this day continue to put our hope in you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.